0: All artists are inherently innovators. We live in a constantly changing world with new technologies and tools at our fingertips. This episode of the Quilting Arts Podcast focuses on innovation and technology as applied to art quilting. When is it appropriate? How do we incorporate tech into our art? And how does it challenge and change our thinking? Stay tuned for a fascinating conversation about the intersection of art and technology with quilter and software engineer, Steph Skardle, who pushes those boundaries every day.
2: Welcome to the Quilting Arts Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the world of contemporary art quilting. I'm Susan Brubaker-Knapp, and I'm here with my co-host, Vivica Hansen-Denegri. Hey, Vivica.
0: Hi, Susan. How are you? I'm Good. Cool. I am so glad to be getting ready for this podcast and talking to you on a cool August day. It's
2: been really hot around here. It's pretty cool here for North Carolina too. So it's a nice break, but I know what's around the corner, more heat and humidity for at least another month. Exactly. I know. Well, I've been really anticipating this conversation for a
0: long time and thinking about technology and art and how they sort of mesh and meld and sometimes act like oil and water and sometimes act like, you know, catalysts for one another. Because um, for the last like five or six months, I've been working on our winter issue of Quilting Arts Magazine, which is going to really talk a lot about technology and art and how they definitely and how science basically is a very big part of what we do as artists. So it's sort of felt like the right thing to do to have this as a topic for the podcast.
2: Yeah, it'll be fun, really fun to talk to her. Yeah, so um,
0: even though this is about technology, I've been doing like the most low-tech things lately that you can even imagine. So my big purchase this summer is I got a kayak. I got this really cool kayak, but it's technologically very interesting because it's an origami kind of kayak. I can actually fold it up and put it into the back of my Fiat. So I feel very cool running around <laughs> Connecticut with my, uh, with my folded kayak in the back of my um, car. But I've been really enjoying being on the inland waterways around my town. Actually, I haven't gone all over Connecticut yet, but I'm um, just doing some fun things that are low tech. What about you? What has your
2: summer been like? Well, your story about the kayak reminds me a little bit that my local area, we're, my neighborhood is around a lake. And on Labor Day, they are having a cardboard boat race. So people are making boats out of cardboard and um, then you have to get a little kid, a lightweight kid to paddle your boat. So I made draft a neighbor, but I remember when I was in junior high, I took a shop class and one of the projects they had us do, they gave us a certain number of pieces of, I think it was like cardstock or oak tag. Do you remember it used to be called that? Oh yeah, yeah, oak tag. And we had to build something that would bear weight. And the more weight you could get onto it, the higher your grade was. And so people were folding it and stacking it and spiraling it. And, and it was one of the most fun projects I did all you know those years. Uh, I still remember that. And so I'm, I'm thinking, like, what can I do? How could I create something out of cardboard? What would be the best kind of cardboard? Because I don't think they're real picky about that, to bear the weight of a little kid who has to paddle out and around a dock and back.
0: Oh, but Susan, you have to make a
2: flag for this boat. (laughs) I was thinking a Viking ship (laughs) with some big figurehead on the front of it. Yeah, I want it to be pretty.
0: (laughs) I know a few people who could give you some information about Viking ships. Woo, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, it would. (laughs) Oh, that sounds like so much fun. That really sounds fun. We have this boat building thing in our high school. Actually, two of my kids have taken it where they do a literature. and and boat building course lasts the entire year, so they it it's sort of an interesting class because it incorporates shop, it incorporates their it's their junior year literature class as well, and it's all about New England boat building and New England literature um, from a seafaring kind of perspective, and so it is the most innovative class I have ever seen. But at the end, the kids, in order to pass the class, their boats need to float for 45 minutes. Mm. And it's hysterical watching some of these boats getting bailed for 45 minutes, but, but really, really cool.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's interesting when you combine kind of two or three different ideas and pull them together, like it has to do this and it has to do this, and it has to be visually beautiful at the same time. Right, right. Those challenges sometimes bring out the best in us and bring out the most innovation.
0: Well, you know, that is one of the reasons that I think that technology and art are just so closely tied because, you know, you think about, for instance, making a garment, you know, all of us sew with quilts, probably. I'm, I'm thinking just about everyone listening to the podcast is someone who knows how to sew a quilt. And that's a flat two dimensional object. But when you start thinking about how do you make it three dimensional? How does it fold around your body? How does it, it make that form? And, you know, that's, that's just the first part of it. And is it flattering at the end um, is always the question mm-hmm. that I answer no, when I'm making a garment. Because I can't seem to quite, you know, get over that hump. But, you know, you have to use math. You have to use science. You have to use art in order to make all of those things work. It's really sort of a, an interesting thing.
2: Yeah. And I'm, I'm not very good at math and I'm afraid of math. So I avoid math as much as possible. But every now and then I do have to confront it and, and work with it.
0: Well, you know, it's probably something we shouldn't be afraid of. And I have a feeling that our guest today is not afraid of math or
2: <laughs> anything right.
0: to that extent because she's an engineer. And so, you know, if you're if you're an engineer, you have to really be thinking about that. But when I also think about my, my quilting friends in this general area that I live in, I have a, a group of quilters that b- before working in publishing, I, I definitely met with them every week. And now it's more like three times a year. I think about all of the quilters that I know who are PhDs in math, in science, who are college professors, who are accountants. You know, there are a lot of people with very different backgrounds, and they all bring something from their different background back into quilting. And so, you know, in the past, a couple of um, episodes ago, we spoke with Shannon Conley, who has a fascinating background. With science. And today we're speaking with someone who has another fascinating background. And I know that there are many of them out there. So I'm just really excited to explore this topic a little bit more deeply in the magazine as well. So I will look forward to that. Are you ready to bring in our guest? I am. All right, let's take a quick break. And then we'll invite Steph Scardell to join us.
2: Let me introduce you to today's artist-in-residence, Steph Scardal. Steph Scardal is a quilt designer, educator, and maker who loves finding the balance between order and chaos in her quilts, mixing hard geometric lines and structure with an element of randomness in texture, color, or layout. With a background in software engineering, she's created to experiment with different techniques and technology to create original quilt designs.
0: This is where Steph's creativity shines in the quilt world. Her innovative approach to fabric and thread has led her on an interesting path. Since bringing home the top award, Best in Show, at QuiltCon 2018 for her work, Going Up, she's continued to push the industry to incorporate technology as a tool for innovation. Welcome to the podcast, Steph.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for the interesting introduction that I already have things that made me think about this topic and how it applies to art. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Well, we're so glad you could um, make
0: the time to come and and uh, join us here. We know that you're a busy mom of three little girls and uh, full-time at this point. Do you work full-time as well?
1: I work 75% right now, but let's just really call it full time because of some <laughs> of my some of my responsibilities really extend beyond a normal work day. And yeah, I have three kids. They are 4, 6 and 8. Two of them are heading to elementary school very shortly here and one of them is at daycare. They're at daycare regularly. And yeah, so I my my work and life is pretty busy, but happy busy.
0: Well, I have to say one of, the, one of my favorite memories from QuiltCon was watching you walking around QuiltCon, having just won the biggest award. And you know, I'm just so proud of whoever wins that award because it's so huge. And you're just carrying this cute little baby with you. And I think that I've seen your youngest child at several different QuiltCons standing in front of quilts and um, enjoying the glory with her mom. I just think that's so adorable.
1: Yeah, that was a a very big surprise, and I I was very happy, and the MQG was very hel- uh, helpful in letting me bring a baby. She was still nursing a little bit at that time, and I was shocked at what at the output. But I really enjoyed attending that QuiltCon, and I've I've been to several QuiltCons uh, over the years, and it's been a great experience.
0: So. Can you tell us a little bit about how you started quilting? Because I have a feeling that you haven't necessarily been quilting all that long. And yet, what I have seen has been astounding that's coming out of your studio. Oh,
1: thank you. So, I started sewing a lot of apparel when my youngest, my eight year old, was about six months old. I was, I shifted from working full time to working half time. And I kind of wanted to start having a hobby uh, to work on while she was awake and and something she could kind of crawl around. And so I did a- sew apparel for a couple years, but then at some point my kids stopped being interested in what I was making. <laughs> they they wanted, you know, and and there's kids get things dirty at that age. And it was it was really hard to be making these nice apparel pieces, putting a lot of time into them and then seeing them stained or get dirty right away. And so I kind of dabbled in quilting And that my first quilt was in 2014. And then um, I kind of, I didn't really like it because it took a lot of time relative to apparel. I said, I think after I finished my first quilt, I said, I'll never make a quilt again. And of course we all know where that ended up. Uh,
2: Never say never.
1: Yeah, exactly. Oh, that is a very less, a lesson I've learned. And then I think a couple of years after that I really got inspired and I decided to give myself a personal challenge of making one original design quilt per month and that was really just a a pattern or a habit that I'd had uh, learning other hobbies to kind of have a daily challenge or some kind of accountability and that resulted in 12 quilts that was in 2016 and I did find a local group to kind of support that I was in an open sew locally and I learned a lot throughout that throughout that year and then um, after that I, I had another that was around the time I had my third kid and so I was sewing during all this and really I got very into quilting around that time and and have kind of continued it. So I would say for the last five years, I've been quilting a lot and and really making an effort to practice it regularly.
2: Do you think that that, you know, when you, in 2014, you said, I'll never make another quilt again. Do you think it just took some time for you to figure out how technology could play a role in your quilt making so that you loved it and you kind of found your niche? I think at the
1: time I I didn't want to quilt more because of the amount of time it took. It Technology definitely didn't seem like a, an option for me to apply at that time. I, I'm, I'm trying to remember as I got more into quilting through those years, I came across Libs Elliott, and she's another quilter who mixes technology with craft really successfully. And she was definitely one of those seeds of inspiration on how I could really in, incorporate my uh, aesthetic with technology in this craft that I really love doing.
0: So when I look back on those earlier quilts, they're very geometric, they're very mathematical, and they're super precise. You know, the, your winning quilt going up. Um, I did see it in person and I saw it in our offices because we photographed it for QuiltCon magazine, but the precision was just amazing. So somewhere along the way, you got good at what you were doing. Because, you know, one thing that that drives me a little bit crazy is some people feel that technique isn't as important. And, you know, for certain things, um, certain techniques aren't important, but when you are trying to be precise and you're not precise, it's noticeable. But when you're trying to pre- be precise and you are super precise, that is also noticeable. So, is, is that precision and, but also that sort of like jogged, straightforward thinking, like, I'm just going to get good at this and it's going to take me 12 months, but I'm going to get good at this. Is that something that has driven you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that precision specifically drives me, but I, I do like to say that that first couple of years quilting, I, was controlling things that I could control. But in my personal life, I had small children and anyone knows that small children have a lot of (laughs) unpredictabilities. (laughs) So I think I really like, you know, that was the way I could exert that desire to have precision and control. And as for getting better, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty disciplined person in terms of like, here's a thing I want to improve upon. How do I improve upon that and kind of building a structure to, to improve and, and having the kind of the self-awareness to say, here's where it could be better, you know, and even that requires kind of setting your ego aside and saying, here's where I think I could be better. How can I accomplish that goal? So clearly I'm very task driven (laughs) and, and, Kind of building a foundation of having one quilt per month to finish. It means I'm I'm doing it. I'm getting it done, but I'm also kind of supporting that with other people that help me along the way. Are you still doing one quilt a month,
0: one project? No, a month?
1: <laughs> no, I I don't have that goal anymore. I, I've I've shifted more to using Instagram as accountability. Um, so I, I'm on Instagram a lot uh, at Steph's mm-hmm. Gardel, and I I've tried. For the last few years, to post every day, to uh, really have that discipline and in sharing my process. Now I've kind of loosened that <laughs> a bit too, as I've as I've gotten a little overwhelmed with social media and and kind of taken a step back. And just I just want to make sure that that discipline and structure supports, you know, like me still being motivated and inspired in quilting.
0: I've really enjoyed watching some of the processes that you've done lately on Instagram that have incorporated a laser cutter. Now, this to me is fascinating because, you know, when I think of tools and technology for quilting, that particular tool never came into my, you know, wheelhouse here. So how did that happen to inspire
2: you? Yeah. And I also want to know what exactly it is and how it works. And I, I read something where you talked about it smelling burned a little bit until you wash it. So I, I have no idea what that is. So if you can explain it, um, what it looks like and how it works, all that kind of stuff. I would love that. All right.
1: Well, let's see, how did I get into this is I guess the first question I, a couple years ago, another quilter in the quiltiverse took one of my designs with my permission and translated it to, um, wood to be cut via a laser cutter into wood shapes. So she made just like a, an embroider, a, an embroidered piece that I could then add embroidery stitches to. And then she made um, a needle, a needle minder to that I could attach a magnet to from from my designs. And that really sparked it a couple years ago for me. However, I wasn't in a point in my life where I could, this is right before we moved from North Carolina to Ohio. So I was really excited at that time, but it wasn't a point in my life where I could really invest and explore what what a laser cutter could do, kind of translating quilt designs to other mediums. And so then fast forward uh, to this year, the beginning of this year, and I decided that I was in a position to explore that further. When I bought a laser cutter, and I'll go into it, what that is in a minute. When I bought the laser cutter, I'd never thought I'd be cutting fabric or pre-quilted pieces. So that, that was kind of a surprise. Now a laser cutter is, it's kind of like a long arm, but instead of stitches, you're lasering stuff. So you're cutting through different materials. A lot of commercial or like a consumer level laser cutters are used for wood, acrylic and they engrave things. You can get special tools to put like uh, tumblers on them and add engraving so you might go on Etsy and find people will do custom engraving for parties or gifts, which is really awesome. So when I bought it I thought, oh this is kind of an interesting toy to see how I could incorporate it and have my quilty designs in another medium. Oh. And the other thing that most recently sparked it is my husband, got a 3d printer and really i was just jealous of him (laughs) because because he has he works he's a scientist and he works in 3d printing so he got one uh, he has 3d printers at his work but then he got one uh for the house and and to kind of play around and experiment with and i was really jealous because i was like oh i really like it you can do cool things but i really want to do things with wood instead i really love how wood looks so anyways i i Purchased it earlier this year. It was right around QuiltCon together this year. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna wait to open the box until after QuiltCon together. <laughs> you were busy during QuiltCon Together. You were working. <laughs> yeah, I was really busy. And so I, I I ended up opening it a few days before QuiltCon Together and and just playing around and cutting cutting some acrylic. I translated kind of some quilty designs like log cabin and even embroidery ideas over to material like wood and, and acrylic. And then I had trimmed a quilt very aggressively. And I said, what happens if I put qu- quilted material in the laser cutter? I, I know it can cut because I know that laser cutters are used to cut very intricate applique shapes and they're, they are used in the quilting world for acrylic rule, rulers. Um, but I I wanted to experiment and put uh, a fully quilted piece, uh, you know, excess under the laser and s- see what happens. And as for my comment about it smelling burned, uh, sometimes batting has like little bits of material and that mm-hmm. those can kind of get scorched and, and singe fabric mm-hmm. around them. And even even the laser itself can kind of have some scorching along the edges of fabric but it the smell doesn't last. Well
2: that's good. <laughs> I was imagining yeah. things catching on fire in your studio.
1: Yeah, there's definitely that happens. Uh, the laser <laughs> cutters, the laser cutters that are available now are a lot better, a lot safer in that way, but that was definitely a liability. It, I'm sure it's a liability in For commercial laser cutters, (laughs) if you're using something very strong, it's something that happens. And it just depends the material that you're cutting and to kind of be aware of, of that.
0: So you took a technology that was meant for wood, paper, acrylic, and then you applied it to fabric. So tell us about those experiments. What did you make and what did you learn?
1: <laughs> I I did make, let's see, I made some earrings. I started with smaller things. So I sort of start small and go larger. So uh, I guess at the very beginning, I cut quilted like pre quilted pieces so quilt sandwich um, in big pieces like a square and a circle and and I kind of I mix matched the squares and circles, and then I quilted those back together using monofilament zigzag stitch. So like I, I went along the edges and I joined all these pieces. So that was one of my first pieces. And then I wanted to kind of test the boundary further and go smaller. And so I cut really, really tiny squares and circles. And I and because a zigzag stitch is really too big for a, a scale, these are one-half-inch square little tiny pieces and one-quarter-inch uh, circles. And and so I ended up uh, gluing those to uh, a stabilizer and then monofilament stitching uh, straight lines across. So that's kind of some of the things I've explored with. I also uh, explored cutting cork and fabric together to make crowns, uh, birthday crowns for mm-hmm. my youngest who turned four this year. And then I, I tried experimenting on other more intricate shapes. One of my friends uh, has foundation paper piecing designs, and I asked her if I could translate her design to the laser cutting, and that worked out. I did a lot of the same things where I I cut the pieces, I glued them together, and then I monofilament stitched them all together.
0: So that is Cassandra Beaver's tiger. Am I correct there? Yes. Yeah. Yes, so correct. So what was so fascinating about that is like you know. I can, I, I have kids too, but they're adults now. I can barely get my life done, right? So I'm watching you, you know, younger children working 75%, which we know equals 100, and um, getting all of this work done. And then you're making quilted pieces, and I'm assuming you're quilting them on the long arm, and doing all of this directional quilting on, for instance, like a piece of plain blue fabric sandwich, and then using that directional quilting to show the direction of the fur on the tiger. And yeah. with your permission, do I have permission to put a picture of this on our show notes? Cause it's astounding. Yes. It is yes. astounding. Yeah. So you had to make all of these quilt sandwiches and then you had to cut them because I'm assuming you could, you know, easily somehow translate that pattern into something that could be cut. And it's almost like it's been cut without a seam allowance. So all of the pieces fit together, maybe more like a stained glass window than they would like a like a quilt in the sense that there, but there's no grout in between. And then you quilted it all together. It's really interesting. It's really different. I have never seen anything like this.
1: <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's it, there's no seam allowance. So foundation paper piecing, as you know, it's worked. Uh, it's it's line art. And you're kind of the solve the problem solving that goes into a foundation paper piecing is how am I going to piece that together in different chunks? For me, the the question, you know, I took that design and I translated the line art to a, a laser design, laser format, and then I pieced it together. So the actual piecing part was easier. The preparation took a lot more work.
0: You know, when I think about modern quilts, it used to be that you would, part of the descriptor of a modern quilt is that it had to be functional. The tiger's not functional and, (laughs) you know, going up, that's totally functional. That would be a functional quilt and your little, um, your earrings actually are functional, but they don't keep you warm. Are you an art quilter or are you a modern quilter or are you just a quilter or just an artist or how do you describe yourself?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I prefer not to think about the labels too much, but I would definitely say that some of the work related to using the laser is more on the art quilting side of things, But although I will say a lot of modern quilters will say I make wall quilts, they are not intended to be functional. So Mm -hmm. I, I think there's a lot of blurred lines between any of these labels that we put on things. I... I tend to make things that I'm inspired by and kind of worry about the label and the sharing later. I don't, I'm not really driven by, oh, I really want to make this type of quilt. I'm sort of just have ideas and I pick out which one wins (laughs) next. (laughs) And that's the thing I start on. And, and I really say that because for me, quilting is a hobby. It's not, it's not my job. And, and because I have a job and because I really like my job, I have to be really intentional about like how I'm supporting this hobby that I really like. And, and what does that mean? Does that mean that I have to put myself in a box? No. Does it mean I get to like go from project to project? Yes, it does. And so, yeah, I I would say like this work is definitely more on the art side. And even I made another quilt a couple of years ago, that's called uh, I ch- called it fish scale chainmail, And that was a strange quilt where there were like little circles that interlooped to kind of build sort of like a chainmail like structure. I would definitely say that's more on the art quilt side. So I would say I kind of am like teetering in between the different spaces. I don't start a project uh, with any sort of intention.
2: It seems to me that a lot of the quilts at QuiltCon recently are art quilts. Than modern quilts. And I, I wonder if partly that's just like an evolution because I that's what happened to me as I started out in traditional quilts and then moved into art quilts. So it's just like a further exploration as you, as you move forward as a quilt maker.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think at least for me and on the topic of innovating, I don't really want to be defined by any constraints uh, in terms of what the label is. I, I I don't really want to add I'm not a person that wants to add paint or beads to my quilts yet.
2: Not yet. Never say never.
1: <laughs> exactly. Never say never. If that's something I explore eventually, then then that's a kind of a natural evolution
2: where of where I go. I also wanted to ask you, I read on your website that you start with an idea blob. So I was curious about your main sources of inspiration and what this idea blob is.
1: <laughs> uh, I, I think I describe an idea blob as uh, something that's really like a really tiny seed of an idea. And then maybe I'll start seeing other things in the world. And a lot of my inspiration does not come from quilting specifically. I like to look at other textiles, other um, other areas of art even, and then and then kind of like starting with an idea. Like for an example, I just started a, an improvisational piece. And my idea is that I want to make a improv drunkard's path. And, and really kind of thinking about like, what does that mean? Uh, What is a traditional drunkard's path? And then like, how do you make it improvisational? So I would say the blob is like an unorganized set of different things related and connected to this initial starting point. But somehow
0: they all seem to work out, you know, (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I will. I, oh, sorry. I will say my friend, my friend Cassandra, who who made the tiger design. She says I have a very clear creative arc. So I did start very precise, you know, several, you know, several years ago. That was a lot of my work, and then at some point I introduced improv, and then at some point I kind of added different art quilt kind of ideas into it. So I, I have had like a lot of them are connected by pushing the boundaries of something. So I'll say. Can, can I make this strip skinnier? Can I curve this strip? Can, can I layer this a different way? So it's definitely like there's an evolution between each of the pieces.
0: Sort of like that what if, you know, what if I tried to piece a quarter inch, which I think you did, or what if I cut a quarter inch little, you know, I'm I'm looking at my hole puncher in my office right now. I'm like, those little pieces that you cut from the laser quilt, that was that was basically hole punched amazing yeah. amazing but you know one thing that i really appreciate about you is that you share you know nothing is like secret which i think is amazing things that you could sell you don't sell um even though i'm sure you sell stuff i'm not saying you don't but what what got me and like totally got me hooked line and sinker was the programs that you were sharing on your website, and Mm. you still are sharing on your website, and we'll put a link into them about picking and choosing colors and manipulating colors. So you could choose a very specific combination of colors for a quilt. Can you tell us about that program that you wrote and share (laughs) on your website?
1: Yeah. So this specific website has a lot of the solids color lines that are available for manufacturers. And I'm trying to think about what, what seeded that was that I think I wanted to learn more about color. And I, I had been making a lot of quilts that were two color, three color, but then I I was really scared of color at that time. (laughs) And even some of my quilts that I made at that time, I I looked at them and I thought like that I wasn't successful I wasn't successful on using color here. Like what could I have done? So I started learning about color theory and and the software engineer in me came out and I said, there's got to be a better way to visualize like the color wheel and how they interact and, and really looking at what solids are available from what lines. So I worked on code that does this, this circle kind of image, and and it'll be in the show notes, Um, it it shows all the colors organized uh, for every hue around a circle, and then uh, organized by different solids that are offered. And then you can kind of look at different color harmony options, so you can look at complementary colors, so those are opposing on the color wheel, and triadic, and so on. And then you can say, I want to limit this to just the Kona and Aurifil thread, and like what the options are. So for me, That was really self-motivated by learning more about color theory and then sharing my technology take on it well you know all i can think
0: is i would pay for access to this so thank you for saving (laughs) me a few dollars but i have to you know we we actually published the article about this particular technology in quiltcon magazine as well as in quilting arts magazine in 2019 i just have to read this beginning paragraph because it's so funny If you told me a year ago that I would be writing about color theory now, I wouldn't have believed you. And then you go on and talk about how that is all, you know, how it all came to play. But this is such an important tool because, you know, I'm looking at, I have two monitors right now. I have a, a monitor that's separate from my computer and I have my computer monitor. And if I'm looking on my computer monitor screen, I see one color for red. And if I move it over to my other screen, it is calibrated differently and I see a different color. So I can't go onto a website and choose a fabric, knowing that it's going to, you know, say for instance, the fabrics a Kona cotton, I can't be sure of what that color actually is. And so this is where it is so helpful because you sort of clarify it.
1: Yeah, unfortunately that's still going to be a limitation because these colors are represented in what's called hex code. That's kind of a computer code that says red, green, and blue. And and so really that will be a limitation. And even another quilter helped me improve the color data that we're using. So it'll always be a limitation because what's represented on your computer isn't necessarily exactly what's showing in front of you, but being able to compare them and just, just be inspired by different color combinations and be open to saying, what does, what is a triadic? I really like some of the triadic ones, which are picking three different colors and, and just like thinking about, you know, getting out of your comfort zone of what you would normally pick and, and getting inspired in that way. So it's funny that you read the intro to that article, because I think that's pretty much my story for everything is if you told me I would be doing this thing a, like a year exactly. ago, I wouldn't have believed you. And maybe what that means is I'm pretty open to where things go. And and I do think because this is a hobby for me, I do have the luxury of exploring that. And that's something you know I'm really lucky to have, where there are other people in the industry who they they have... A job. This is their support system, and so they do have to be thoughtful about what what kind of work they're taking on. And even some people that are in the industry will take on work that uh, a pers- on the side personally that's inspiring. But then they know that like their money making work is a little different.
2: Mm-hmm. But I also think that just creative people find those things eventually. They just go down the rabbit hole. They keep exploring and new things inspire them. And then they are obsessed with it and they have to do it. And that's just, to me, is the mark of a really creative mind. And that's what I'm seeing with you, Susan, with the
0: stuff that you're sharing on Instagram too, the work that you're doing, the paint on quilts, the color, it's amazing. And it's sort of like you get onto that you have that singular vision as well, where I'm gonna paint fanned leaves or I'm going to find, you know, the most interesting bugs and you do
2: amazing work the same kind of way. I thanks. I'm kind of on a roll right now. I don't know what's going on, but I I it's partly deadline motivated. But yeah, i I'm producing a lot right now after a, a kind of a drought. But I wanted to ask you, Steph, too. I was, I was amazed to see that you have designed in Photoshop and I've designed some pieces, some quilts in Illustrator, but I would never think about doing it in Photoshop. Describe what you do and why that works for you.
1: Um, the, so I have a background in photography. I, I worked sort of as a semi-professional photographer before I quilted. So that, that was my, my husband likes to say I'm addicted to entrepreneurial things. So that was my, <laughs> that was my pre-quilting hobby that then turned some, yeah, semi-professional. So I use Photoshop a lot for that. Hmm. So when I came into quilting, I, I knew Photoshop. I use, when I'm designing quilts, it's mostly the shapes tool, um, drawing shapes, I'm not an illustrator savvy in any way. I, I've you know I've opened files in it before, but I it's just I it's too much for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's too much. Where where at least with the designs that I was doing, I really needed simple shapes, four sided shapes, triangles, uh, etc. And so that's really what I used for a while. And then as of really the last three years, I've shifted to Procreate, which is more of a sketch tool. And then I've also added a couple other, there's other great scalable vector tools in on an iPad that you ca- can kind of add with Procreate. So I use that those in combination now.
0: Well, I took your Procreate course at QuiltCon together. And that was so fun. I made, I made horrible images, but that's okay, because that was me learning too. But you got me inspired. And I'm actually in the process of charging my pencil to get it out again, you know, it's so fun to see how you can pull in all of these tools that we, you know, we use for different things and we're, we're created for different things, but they can be used absolutely for design and quilt design.
1: Yeah. Thanks for taking my class. I, I think, I am looking forward to. I'm teaching uh, two Procreate classes at uh, the upcoming QuiltCon, and one of the things I missed at QuiltCon together was that interactivity. And so I'm I've really been doing a lot of thinking about that interactive feature in learning new tools. And really, yeah, like I think a lot of this this experience that I have is looking at a tool and thinking about how I can apply it to quilting and how I can apply it to my aesthetic. So it doesn't, uh, you know, lasers or procreate or Photoshop, like knowing there are tools and even long arms and domestic machines. I like to say like, When you look at a quilt and you either long arm or domestic quilt it, they're just both different tools and they have trade-offs and, and they're going to bring different things. So I think about like, what tool do I want to use to finish my quilt or what, what tool do I want to use to sketch something out? Is it, is it something more sketchy and flowy or is it something more precise?
0: But you know, the tool is only as useful as the person who's pushing it. So... You know, you have to have the ideas, you have to have the innovation, and the the creative mind behind it in order to make something different and unique. And and both of you have that, which you know, I'm really pleased that I know you, so <laughs> I could I can bask in that glory. So here's here's um, my last question for you, Steph, and that is, what kind of new tools do you see that are out there, or or tools that are existing? that are going to be used differently in the future. Do you see anything out there on the horizon for us?
1: <laughs> um, I I don't have a good answer for that. I think, let's see, from a digital design perspective, there's a lot of great tools. I think an iPad, there's so much functionality on an iPad that I could see that taking over Illustrator. I could see someone coming out with a really great quilting quilting tool that works on an iPad, um, I'm not one to buy a lot of notions, except obviously a laser cutter. So I could see, I could see a laser cutter, a, a few people kind of playing around with that more, or even smaller businesses owning a laser cutter and making different types of things available to quilters. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not big on like pushing notions or I haven't, I don't know if there's any great inventions out there.
2: Well, here's another version of that same question. And that is if you could you know, not having to worry about money. If you could have one gadget, gizmo piece of technology, what would it be? Because I've thought about that and I would like to at least have access to an electron microscope because I love seeing things super close up and seeing all the detail at a cellular level or beyond. And so anyway, that's a question for you. What would you want?
1: I would want a better long arm. (laughs) (laughs) I, I would want a long arm with a computer, probably. I think that would be really exciting. I, and also a long arm with channel lock. <laughs> but I, at the same time, like I, I don't know. I feel like I'm happy with all the tools I have. So I, I guess ask me again in a month and maybe right. I'll give you answer.
0: <laughs> I'd like the time to use them and to really learn them i would love to have like a two week intensive with procreate or a two week intensive brain dump from either one of you like if we could do airdrop of your knowledge <laughs> and i could just be the acceptor on the side i think i would really enjoy it i think you know so many of us have tools that could be pushed further like i look at my sewing machine and i'm like i could be doing a lot more with that I know I could be. I've actually got Illustrator on my computer and I need to learn how to use it. And my um, Photoshop is used for sizing images right now. So, you know, I know that there are things that all of us have in the back of our minds that we would love to explore more. So that's just life.
1: Yeah. And I guess to to wrap this up or relate to the intro is I I went and laser cut a bunch of things but then i really wanted to say what is like the most simple thing i could make and i i chose to hand hand sew hand piece a double wedding ring with, so i really mixed the two extremes of using technology for something but then really just the enjoyment of hand hand piecing something that i really wanted to make so i think yes tools are awesome and they're they're amazing to explore do th- th- new things visualize but at the end of the day, like I really enjoyed hand piecing. And when I finished that project, I was like, what am I going to do with my hands for, for, for now? <laughs> Time to cut,
0: trying to cut some new paper pieces and go for it. But yeah. thank you so much for joining us, Steph. This has been a great conversation. And I'm going to be uh, putting up some of the photos that we talked about from the quilts and all the wonderful
2: things that you've done. Thanks a lot. And I can't wait to see what you do next.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I don't even know what I'm going to do next.
2: <laughs> Thank you again for having me. Thanks. Thanks. Well, as usual, I have a quote. Um this is a quote by Albert Einstein who said, "After a certain high level of technical skill is achieved, science and art tend to coalesce in aesthetics, plasticity and form. The greatest scientists are artists as well."
0: Isn't that the truth? And you think about art as being so much more than just a painting, because a lot of people just think about it as a two-dimensional thing. What Einstein says applies to beautiful bridges, it applies to architecture, it applies to design, product design, etc. It yeah. all comes
2: together. I went recently to the Van Gogh exhibit, the immersive Van Gogh exhibit that's all over the country in many different locations right now, where they show Van Gogh's on big walls inside like industrial sites and it was really fascinating and it made me think a lot about how the people who put that together used technology to bring Van Gogh's work to us in a totally different way and um, what a different experience that was than looking at the Van Gogh pieces in the museum, both wonderful but in different ways. Don't you wish you could bring him back?
0: Mm -hmm. Sometimes I just wish I could bring him back and hold his hand and say, it gets better. <laughs> hang in there and make more good art. <laughs> not only hang in there, but thank you. You know, because just just speaking of Van Gogh, we took our kids to Paris a few years ago as a really special family trip. And the last day we went to, I think it's the Dorsey Museum in, in Paris, and my daughter could not drag herself away from just looking at at one of his, his paintings and just being pulled in. And you think about the technology that that man had at his fingertips. It was a brush, it was some paint. He knew how to mix it. You know, he knew how to apply it, that's for sure. Yep. Well, thank you so much for joining me yet again, Susan, for a wonderful podcast. And thank you all for listening to the Quilting Arts Podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. This podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. Our show notes with images, links and descriptions and more are available on quiltingdaily.com. Our producer is Daisha Clay and our web producer is Sarah Erickson. Thanks again.